Hi, I'm Gertrude Keesley, and this is Kingdom Consciousness. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come, Matthews 24, 14. Before Jesus returns to set up his kingdom in its final form, the gospel of the kingdom must be extended throughout the nations of the world. In order to preach the gospel of the kingdom, we as kingdom citizens must understand the kingdom of God. Before we can become custodian to the keys of the kingdom, we must first experience kingdom living. In the past, much emphasis has been placed on the life and ministry of the king of the kingdom jesus christ and rightly so but not enough emphasis has been given to the gospel of the kingdom jesus told the religious leaders of his time ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for ye neither go in yourselves neither suffer them that are entering to go in matthew 23 13. It was this gospel of the kingdom that was the central purpose of Christ's life. He began his earthly ministry by declaring the arrival of the kingdom. That's, you can find that in Matthew 4.17. He ended his earthly ministry by speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom, Acts 1 and 3. In between the beginning and ending of his earthly ministry, the emphasis was on the kingdom. Luke 4.43 says, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. The kingdom of God was the greatest concern of Jesus. His teachings and parables focused on the kingdom. His miracles were a demonstration of the kingdom of God in action. The phrases kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are used over a hundred times in the books of Matthews, Mark, Luke, and John. We will explore the distinctions between these two. We are told to seek first the kingdom, to pray for it and to preach it. We are told how to enter the kingdom and taught that residency in it requires a new lifestyle. God is equipping his citizens to become kingdom minded so that we can understand the business of the kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the king. Everything about us is royalty, but we must first adopt the mind of Christ in order to understand what that actually means. We cannot have a poverty mindset and expect to grasp the reality of how much God desires for us to prosper. But there is a greater purpose than just understanding kingdom principles. Citizens must go beyond mere knowledge of the kingdom 
to actually experience it and make it the central purpose of our living. So I invite you to come and go with me as we explore this most exciting, interesting, and eye-opening subject. Representing the kingdom. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul speaks directly to wives, husbands, children, fathers, and slaves, pretty much covering all of his bases. He then goes on to say, whatever you do, work at it wholeheartedly as though you were doing it for the Lord and not merely for people. You know that it is from the Lord that you will receive the inheritance as a reward. It is the Lord Messiah whom you are serving. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. How am I representing the kingdom? What do people see in me when they really get to know me? Do I present my body a living sacrifice? Does my family see me as a believer in my actions, my conversations, and how I treat others. The way I present myself is directly related to how I represent Jesus to the world. There are a number of scriptures such as 2 Corinthians 5.20, Ephesians 2.10, Ephesians 5.1, and more that point to disciples of Christ as his ambassadors, God's workmanship, encouraging us to be imitators of God and naming us as a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people of his own possession. A Christian by namesake is a representation of Christ called to shine his glorious light into the darkness. Galatians 3.28 speaks of us all as one in Christ. So we also represent the church everywhere we go. But aren't we supposed to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God? Like it says in Micah 6, 8 in the New International Version? The short answer is yes. But I think many people confuse humility with humiliation. Hmm. They may have the same root, but they mean very different things. 
Humility is defined by Oxford dictionaries as a modest or low view of one's own importance as humbleness. Do I understand and accept my place in relation to God and others? Oxford dictionaries define humiliate as to make, for example, someone feel ashamed and foolish by injuring their dignity and self-respect, especially publicly. In my own understanding, humiliation is a lower projection of a person than who they really are. A lot of us have been under the impression that humbleness is an act of becoming less than who God created us to be, when that is a better description of humiliation. To walk humbly with God is to walk in a right relationship with him, not elevating yourself higher than your right place. It also involves using the gifts and talents he has given you and not acting like a powerless mass with no real purpose in life. Like so many other aspects of life, there is a delicate balance between humiliation and pride. There is a balance between presenting oneself and the kingdom in the best way I can without becoming a stumbling block for others. I think having a clean car might be a stumbling block for others, but this isn't just about going through the car wash. How am I representing the kingdom? Am I reflecting the church and Jesus in a way that can draw people towards him or that would more likely turn them away? Am I pursuing excellence without boasting in anything other than Christ? Am I putting my best foot forward while still walking humbly with God? These are questions I think we should all be asking ourselves in our pursuit to follow Christ and make disciples. Listen, the whole of our lives entail a spiritual struggle between good and evil. God allows us to freely choose love and goodness over hatred and evil. Within us, he has placed a deep desire and longing for truth and beauty, a longing for God. Yet the concerns of this life can distract us from the joy we most want. We become sidetracked through our inclination to sin. We fail to recognize this ever-present invitation from Christ 
we are invited to live in God's kingdom. Can any other concern of ours be as important as this gift? Does the proclamation of the kingdom mean anything to me? Do the Lord's words reverberate within my being? Does the way in which I live reflect a strengthening of my resolve to turn from sin and back to God? Is my faith in, hope for, and love of God stronger and deeper than it was a year ago? Does the way in which I live testify to my belief? What is it that I believe about the kingdom? If I were brought before a jury, would it conclude upon the evidence of my life that I am a citizen of the kingdom of God? These are questions we should ponder. The consequence of man's original sin was to be delivered into the wilderness, a place of danger and peril. Thankfully, our God is not simply a judge or jury. He is our father. He did not give up on us, even when we gave up on him. As Noah and his family were saved in the ark through water, so too are we saved through faith in Jesus Christ. God has come to be with us and save us. The wilderness is now a place of spiritual growth where grace abounds, where angels minister to our needs just as they minister to Jesus, where we are enabled by grace to live lives pleasing to God because now is the time of fulfillment and our God is with us. He invites us to repent and believe in the gospel. Belief, listen, is not simply a mental acceptance of a reality. Belief is also an act of the will. One of our favorite prayers is the one Jesus taught us. We pray that God's kingdom will come into our lives and that his will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is not just a future reality in heaven. It is present right now on earth. It is not just to know of the kingdom. It's not enough just to know of the kingdom. That knowledge must reside in both our mind and our heart. But even then, it's not enough to think we can desire God in the heart without also caring for others in the world. The peace, justice, and mercy that we desire of God for ourselves, we must also desire for 
our fellow human beings, no matter who they are, where they are, what they are, or what they have done, we must desire it because God desires it. God invites us to be in his kingdom, but he also requires that we help bring it about to live in it here and now. The prophet Isaiah tells us how God desires of us to act in his kingdom, releasing those bound unjustly, untying the thorns of the yoke, setting free the oppressed, breaking every yoke, sharing your bread with the hungry, sheltering the oppressed and the homeless, clothing the naked when you see him, and not turning your back on your own. That's found in Isaiah 58, 6 through 7. God bless you. Have a great day.